Hi, everybody, and thanks for joining our weekly podcast. I'm Robin Lewis, founder and CEO of The Robin Report, which, by the way, is much more than a daily report. It really is a knowledge platform um, from which uh, we communicate thought leadership on various strategic topics. Yes, through the daily reports, but also these podcasts. And we do webinars, and we will probably start doing live events maybe later in the year. Anyway, along with our chief strategist, Shelley Cohan, also, by the way, a professor at Fashion Institute of Technology, uh, we welcome you to our conversation on the topic of chasing the possibility of predicting recessions. Well, Shelley, <laughs> a quick word, two-word answer, it's impossible, at least verified by the last so-called Great Recession and all of those before it. I mean, give me a break. All the best and brightest economists, I don't know, financiers, consultants, accurate dimensions, so-called experts, and any other kind of futurist and even the Fed itself have not been able to predict, or better, to stop the declining and totally unpredictable recessions uh, we have had. A couple of uh, very, very wry answers. One famous economist said it's a million things, a million things driving our GDP down, of which the Nat National Bureau of Economic Research. Uh, in the United States often considers a recession to be a period of at least two consecutive quarters, uh, six months of declining GDP, of which, by the way, personal spending accounts for 70.8% wow. of our GDP. That's just crazy. Yeah, I know we keep saying so many people lose sight of that. And <clears throat> that, 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 and GDP is averaging between 19 and $22 trillion annually. Yes, that's a T for trillion. So retail is the big fat canary in the coal mine. So the GDP moves slowly downward and then bang, it happens very fast. Being announced on the morning news when you wake up and listen to this, uh, we, we might have been in a recession even before you woke up to the news that morning. So Shelly, it really is uh, complicated. And um, I'm amazed we're taking this on as a subject, but I think we know a few things about it. Um, and by the way, and that's why even the best and brightest can't explain its arrival. So um, I also want to paraphrase an interview quote from CEO of J.P. Morgan Chase, Jamie Dimon, answering a question by his son, who during the 2008 recession asked his father, uh, what's a recession? So Jamie Dimon replies to his son, it's something that happens about every 10 years. Huh. My take on that was that the best and the brightest, Jamie Dimon, knew if he even started on that, uh, even started to defend, to define it, it would be a Herculean task 
that would most likely result in his son being even further confused. To say nothing of Diamond himself not wanting to go down a further complex rabbit hole. So Shelley, our purpose today is not to define recession and certainly not to predict one. Thankfully. Yeah, but, but, but you know, I think simply to try to clarify uh, out of all um, the noise, the most important dynamics uh, to track and particularly those of consumer spending and retail. As I said, 70% drives the GDP number. And uh, since Walmart has often been used as a bellwether, or better said, <laughs> the biggest canary in the coal mine, um, welcoming about 265 million visitors per week in their U.S. stores, uh, they just had a recent analyst meeting that was really quite positive. Um, the financial results alone measure a good, a good quarter for them. But I think CEO Doug McMillan's observations of what the numbers may mean regarding recession indications are more important. So, Shelley, can you give us a quick review of the uh, financials on Walmart? Sure, sure Robin, I can do that. But before I do that, I just want to remind our listeners since consumers drive everything, and particularly the GDP and all of retail, including Walmart, I'm just going to give some context before I get into the actual numbers themselves. Okay. And let me also say this. The only certainty in retail is consumer uncertainty. Or Very uncertainty, good. Yeah. Right? We yeah. cannot predict what consumers will do. And quite frankly, consumers can't even predict their own behavior. So according to the Michigan Survey of Consumer Confidence Index that we look at, um, confidence dropped actually 9.1% this month compared with April. And also as reported in WWD, the consumers are worried that the economic downturn will not be brief. This mm. is by Joanna Sue, who's the director of the surveys of consumers. And throughout the current inflationary episode, consumers have shown resiliency under strong labor markets, but their anticipation, this dark cloud that's hovering over them, of a recession will lead them to pull back when they see signs of weakness emerging. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if policymakers <clears throat> fail to resolve the debt ceiling, which is the big topic these days, um, some of the dismal views over the economy will exasperate the dire economic con consequences of default. This is what Sue is saying. So yes, the Michigan survey is always helpful directionally, um, but it's not precise. And on top of inflation issues in consumers, also they are haunted every day by the debt that they're incurring. They're also get this bombardment. It's 24-7. I mean, news flashes on their cell yeah. phones, all over the news, social media, on how, on all this, uh, you know, disinformation about what's happening. Broadcast, broadcast network, social media, all of it. And it just seems so dire. And it seems like it's just all bad news. Yeah. You know, the war, environmental fears, domestic and global <laughs> geopolitical train wrecks, fear of losing jobs, fear of being gunned down bank failures, health failures, post-pandemic shifts in behavior. And I'm sure there's many more issues that consumers are really 
just trying to adapt their lives around. And yeah. they have a lot of anxiety. So, and because of herd mentality often sets in, the economy could crash fast and deep. So, sorry, but I think we needed just a tad bit of context there. Yeah, I think you're right. It was very well put, Shelley. Thanks. And um, and by the way, I will add another big squeeze on consumers. Uh, the New York Federal Reserve reported that total consumer debt has hit a record $17 trillion in the first quarter of this year. And while credit card debt was roughly steady at $986 billion, it stood out because it usually declines in the first quarter. And, you know, as an aside, I would say that a big reason for the credit card debt uh, not declining in the first quarter is due to the BNPL phenomenon, uh, you know, uh, buy now, pay later. There is a large scale of defaulting among younger consumers whose eyes simply uh, are bigger than their stomachs. So, then there's the commercial real estate market. Oh my God. And an 11.5 trillion mortgage debt coming due for repayment in 2025. Unbelievable. Many experts are, are predicting that because of no clarity on where interest rates are going, on top of the fact that work from home has essentially established an in office work week of like, uh, you know, Tuesday through Thursday. The pundits are saying we are seeing the very real threat of another 2008 type real estate collapse. Wow. Well, yeah, only this time it will be driven by commercial real estate versus residential, although residential is not doing too well either. There's no inventory out there and people don't want to buy it now anyway because the mortgage rates are too high. So it's a real conundrum. And another unknown has to do, you know, with a kind of herd psychology's impact on recession, which you touched on. Um, <clears throat> when your neighbor is having a tough time financially, you believe we're in a recession. When you are having a tough time, we're in a depression, right? So uh, herd mentality and the definition of recession you know, are really individual psychological states of mind. Uh, nevertheless, at the end of the day, if enough consumers pull back enough from spending, we do face recession. So, Shelley, back to the biggest canary in the mine. <laughs> well, you know, Walmart just had its first quarter sales release and sales were up, Robin, get this, 7.6%. Yeah. Nearly $151 billion. And that's adding 11 billion to their top line growth from a year ago. And they had strong mm. results last year. The US division in particular, when you look at comp sales, comparable sales, they jumped 7.4%. This includes uh, fuel. Transactions were up almost 3%. And the average ticket, Robin, was up 4.4%. Wow. So they're spending more money per trip. And get this, Robin, this is the best number out there. The U.S. division's e-commerce, so Walmart's e-commerce division, which carries, get this, more than 200 million apparel stock-keeping units. Wow. Wow. Yeah. They grew, you got to sit down for this one. Guess what they grew in the first quarter? 
Wow. It's Incredible. unbelievable. So CEO McMillan said uh. on the analyst call, and he's right. He said, it's a great time to be a really good merchant. And Robin, that's a, <laughs> certainly a breath of fresh air, no pun intended. But um, being a yeah. good merchant right now is working for a lot of the yep. retailers. Yeah, Shelly, and it, it also points to the fact that we have very few of those really good merchants, right? And of course, the Walmart model um, is to offer value-based goods by the tonnage um, at lowest everyday prices. Uh, that, in tough economic times, maintains its current loyalists while attracting new consumers, and it attracts higher income consumers who simply want to save some money. So Macmillan added um, in the interview, he said, like in our stores, when I think about general merchandise, whether that's apparel or hard lines, we're focusing our store leadership and our store associates on standing tall in those areas. And because inventory is in a better spot than it was last summer, for example, they can focus more on that rather than just dealing with the flow of inventory uh, that was coming in. In short, uh, this point suggests the retailer was both seeing more shoppers than it was a year ago and that those shoppers were spending more money. But Shelly, even though huh, they are the biggest canary and maybe the chirpiest in <laughs> success in the first quarter, it could swing south very fast for a million reasons. It's, it's, it's just that McMillan and team seem to know how to proactively pivot and yep. pivot quickly, right? So when they see changes in consumer behavior, uh, there's that word agility again. In my opinion, they are among among the best, if if not the best. Yeah, and let me just add that Walmart's not the only canary in the coal mine. So mm. Amazon sales were up 9%, and Costco, which they don't <coughs> report their quarterly sales, Q3 is reporting this week. Um, they're on a different financial calendar, but in April, they reported sales. They were up 3% for April, and year-to-date through 35 weeks, they're up 5.6%. Mm. These are examples of being great merchants. Macmillan is absolutely right. And we know product is king in our world. So, and here's one more little canary chick, certainly <laughs> not the biggest retailer out there, but you know, this company is certainly making a huge waves this year. And we actually, we did a podcast on it, Robin, called Abercrombie and Fitch, the Metarotic Rise oh, yeah. Back to Cool. But yeah. Right now, they are on fire. The company wow. delivered decade-high first quarter sales, 14% up for the Abercrombie brands. Um, so to say that Fran Horowitz and her team has turned that business around is a great understatement. No, mm -hmm. seriously, they have really pegged their target market, and they're delivering the products that they want in a unified manner. And the other thing Fran Horowitz said, um, who's the CEO, obviously. She said on an interview that, you know, a lot of it has to do with their ability to pivot. They got merchandise flowing, like you just yeah. mentioned, Robin, and yep. they're able to more quickly pivot alongside the consumer. So, and not to drone on and on and on, but Yeti, which is a similar kind of brand to Abercrombie yep. & Fitch in terms of size of the business, unique value proposition, unparalleled marketing, 
And again, another great merchant just delivered 3% sales increase with direct-to-consumer sales up 7%. I'm sure when Ulta Beauty reports this week, I don't have those numbers because they literally report um, later today, actually. Um, so we have, you know, these brands that are delivering on the consumer and providing this kind of unified commerce. And as much as we keep hearing about a slowdown of spending, I'm just not seeing it with some brands that have really mastered this ability to pivot alongside the customers. Yeah. You know, and these, these trends <clears throat> were reflected by the latest results in sales. So sales actually went up in April slightly as compared to March. And if you look year over year, they're ahead 1.6% year over year for the month of April. So yes, you do have some categories yeah. that are being hit with the consumer pullback, pullback like the home improvement. So Home Depot sales declined 4.2% in the first quarter. Lowe's also recorded reported comparable store sales decrease of 4.3%. But remember, Robin, a lot of these sales decreases for home improvement are driven by two major factors. One, deflation. So the cost of lumber going down has negatively impacted the revenue. Yeah. Lower do-it-yourself <clears throat> discretionary sales. So ironically, deflation actually hurt the revenue for home improvement. Yeah. You know, there you have it again. You know, you got the winners and you got the losers. Huh. It's it's just the winners, I think, in this cycle are are not as big of winners as as they may have been in the past uh, cycles because we are it is slowing down the economy. Anyway, it's not a pretty picture. <clears throat> and then there is the inventory conundrum. Um, Telsey and advisory group analysts found that across segments. Inventory growth averaged at 46% in Q2 last year in apparel and e-commerce. And that figure was considerably higher at 65.6% for both sectors. And Shelley, that's another issue that has to be managed, again, with great agility. While Walmart was able to uh, adjust in the first quarter, company's chief financial officer, uh, John David Rainey, emphasized just how dramatically shoppers are changing right, right now. He said, at the headline level, consumer spending has proven resilient. But below the surface, we continue to see signs that customers remain choiceful. Interesting word, particularly um, in discretionary categories. In Q1, uh, we saw a nearly 360 basis point shift in the U.S. sales mix from general merchandise to grocery and health and wellness. Um, he goes on to say, to benchmark uh, the magnitude of this shift exceeds the 330 basis points of category mix shift we experienced in all of last year. That kind of a, a, a swing at a company as large as Walmart, uh, you know, with the last quarter alone outpacing a year of consumer shifts shows just how fast um, change is sweeping through the retail industry, Shelley. And, you know, 
Neil Sanders, by the way, um, described the current landscape as a cost of living crisis. That is acting as a recruiting sergeant for Walmart, increasing customer numbers. This includes among higher income shoppers, more of whom are now using Walmart on a regular basis for groceries and household goods. Sanders said, the good news here is that new shoppers seem to be sticking with Walmart, mm -hmm. at least for the time being. But the less good news is that their activity is mostly confined, you know, to staples and necessities, and few are crossing the aisle to shop general merchandise. Anyway, in our view, <clears throat> improvements to the proposition, including stocking more aspirational brands in areas like beauty and strong online service levels have uh, really helped with the retention of higher income consumers. So Shelley, do we hear or read um, any good news? <laughs> well, let me just say this, Robin, you know who's gonna change that consumer <clears throat> from stepping over the aisle into fashion? Denise Incandela is working very uh, hard and has really put Walmart on the map in terms of being looked and viewed at as, you know, fashion. Yep. It's never had yeah. that in the, you know, in the past. So totally. Um, and I think that, you know, experts that focus more squarely on the consumer saw <coughs> shoppers that are still willing to spend despite all the economic angst that they're feeling, the consumers are feeling. So Katie Thomas, who leads the Kearney Consumer Institute think tank, uh, said, to me, the stability in these numbers is actually a good thing. So mm. especially after all the doom and gloom we've seen about the consumer, there's actually not this panic over money and inflation. So the leveling off is what she's talking about, not these big, you mm. know, dips and dives. <clears throat> she also said that people are kind of living their lives and they're really thinking they've actually gotten to incredibly savvy about decisions that they're going to make, similar to what um, the CFO at Walmart said about choiceful, right? Yeah. She's also saying the same thing in terms of that. And she also said something that was really interesting. She said that many of the experts are looking at the consumer through a financial lens of Wall Street. Mm. So what they're saying means for stock prices, instead of looking at the consumers actually themselves. So the consumer is, is evolving. Um, and she added that, you know, you've just seen two years of stabilization in retail sales figures. And would she personally would be more concerned if we saw the, you know, huge increases and then, you know, substantial decreases. So she actually thinks how we're moving along at this steady pace is actually very positive. Um, and there really hasn't been a massive pullback in spending um, that we've now, yeah. I think we've been talking about this for a year, right? Yep. So um, at what point do we move beyond that story? That's her question. At what point are we going to go away from this big, you know, massive pullback of consumer spending? Um, so that doesn't mean the changes in spending patterns aren't impacting companies or stock prices. It just might say more about the companies themselves and where they're mm. situated in the market and how their model is. And if they're able to adapt to these consumer shifting attitudes yep. and changes. So as luxury gets stronger and stronger and stronger, 
and the economic concerns are pushing more shoppers to the value chain. So those high income shoppers going to Walmart, as an example of that, the space in between has only gotten trickier. So brands yep. really need to stand out in some way. So we, she says, we've been talking about this since the pandemic, the idea of the death of the middle. The middle has oh, yeah. gotten mushy by trying to be everything to everyone and they've gotten nothing to anybody. I love that quote. Yeah. Um, so I don't know how positive all that was, Robin, but you and I have talked about this hollowing out of the so-called middle class for a long time. So recession aside, consumers have been really opening up their wallets in a value sector. And even in the luxury class is finding treasures in that sector as well. Oh boy. You know, so full circle, right? Um, predicting a recession is impossible. I guess all we can close with, Shelley, is that we don't even know all of the unknowns, just like most everything in life. <laughs> well, Robin, we can keep predicting it for the next six months and over the last year and a half, at some point, we're going to be right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so for our listeners, you can find more of our podcast. <laughs> on Apple, Spotify, Buzzsprout, and theroundreport.com. Look for us on YouTube where we broadcast our podcast as well. And please follow us on social media. Link in with us for the latest thoughts about the industry. And I want to thank everybody again for joining us today. And um, uh, once again, if any of you have a topic that you would like Shelly and I to cover, just uh, send me an email to Robin at uh, therobinreport.com. Thanks very much again for joining us.